So I actually went through that. So that means get a good get a good education, get a good job. Um, I bought a house way bigger than what I could afford, but because I I, I worked for a, for a multinational and they had pretty decent yeah, salary. Yeah, very good salary. Yeah. Basically, uh, like a you know like a old bureaucrat salary. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay, yeah, this is what the five C's are: uh, cash, car, credit card, condominium, country club. Oh, country club and. The five C lah. Oh, five C's. Okay. So wow. then, then, uh, then the uh, six. the six sixes one is a uh, six figure salary. Uh huh. Six feet tall. Okay. Uh, drives a six hundred horsepower car. <laughs> has a six pack. I don't know whether six. Before we begin the podcast. Have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co. R-E-E or www.firo.co slash free. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Firo Podcast, best place for long-term stock investors. So in our tradition of bashing other asset classes, <laughs> today we will kindly, politely, professionally bash properties. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but jokes aside, uh, really, we're going to discuss today uh, John, yeah, um, really stocks versus properties, right? And mm-hmm. you know, we did post a YouTube video, I think, back in November twenty twenty, yeah, um, about stocks versus properties. Uh, we gave you a brief outline of what it is, and I think this podcast we're gonna go a lot deeper, yeah, right? We're gonna share our experiences. We're gonna break down the math for you why it's mathematically just math wise not a good idea, mm-hmm. right? And we're gonna give a lot of other qualitative reasons why. I think why John think that. Uh, you know, really properties is uh it's not bad, but it's uh, a bit overrated. Yeah. Right? Speaking of overrated, I think let's begin this discussion by really trying to figure out or explain what are some of the common reasons, right? What are some of the typical reasons you hear why um people should go for properties, right? And usually the process is always like that, right? Uh your parents usually will say, Okay, you Study hard, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you get a job. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's a high-paying job. Mm-hmm. You save some money, mm-hmm. and when you save that money, uh, they they will say it's for an investment. Yeah. But what is that investment? That investment is for a house, mm. right? And they say the most important is to get a roof over your head, mm-hmm. so that also you can attract the girl. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, in in Mandarin, is it? Uh, Right? <laughs> no room, no children, right? Yeah. Uh, and then also, uh, this is for guys, obviously, it's a bit sexist, but then again, China is a bit uh, patriarchal. Mm-hmm. And only after you get family, only you start thinking of investing uh, in whatever, right? whether it's stocks or businesses, gold, crypto, and all that. So that's the process. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something you disagree with for many, many reasons. And mm-hmm. so, John, maybe you want to start off saying uh, why that process doesn't make sense and go into some of the things that you've heard in your life about why 
uh, buying a house is the most important investment, uh, you know, quote unquote, quote unquote uh, <laughs> the best investment uh, anyone can make. Actually, when you were explaining and asking that question, I was like thinking, how far back does it go? Because I'm, I'm not... I'm a history buff, but not as crazy as you. Oh, uh, yes. Actually, then let me interject that. I can explain it to you. Okay, so this is for Chinese people. Only. Yeah. Feudalism um, time even. Uh. No, so it goes back all the way to the beginning of um, uh, Chinese history, basically. Yeah. So so today, there are many ways to make money, right? You mm. can, uh, you know, online business, you know, yeah. sell food, whatever. So w- last time, there are only, only two ways to make money in China. Mm. Right. In fact, the merchant class, right, what we yeah. call like businessmen or that, were seen as, uh, you know, third tier. Uh, Compared to the royalties and all yeah, that. Yeah, correct. So there was a hierarchy. So merchants or businessmen were seen as low because of the Confucian uh, culture. So you couldn't really make money from like selling things, right? Mm. You could, but then you'd be frowned upon. So there's a lot of social connotation that comes with it. Yeah. So there's only two ways. One, you become a bureaucrat. A kun. A government official. Yeah, a kwan. A yes. kwan kun. So yeah. that has, okay, so use modern day language, that is the most cash flow generative uh, profession. Mm. Uh, because you receive a salary is, and it's fixed. And yes. then because China was somewhat meritocratic, so you can rise through the ranks very high. And then some people, I mean, you hear stories of, uh, you know, people coming from small villages and end up becoming... Um, you know, the advisor of the emperor. And, and, and it's like seen noble, I think. Much more noble. Yeah, yeah that's right. They dress you know. noble, they uh, yeah, speak noble, they correct. more noble, they have fancy hats. In, in a that. way, as close as it can get to being an aristocrat, but yet not, not born an aristocrat in a way. Correct, correct. Yeah. Because China had a slightly more advanced system of governance back in the day where, you know, there's meritocracy and you, know, you can climb the ranks. Yes. Whereas, you know, in a place like Europe, basically it's blood-based, right? Yeah. If, you're not, if you're a wrong family, you're a wrong family, that's it. <laughs> and that's why, you know, a lot of uh, English names, you know, they have uh, the names are based on the profession, like John Taylor. Yes, yes, and it's a blacksmith. Samuel Blacksmith, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, your profession. Uh, yeah. So that's how how deep it ran in when it comes to, you know, uh, giving that that your job is going to be what your father did. So China was a bit different. Yeah, that was the most cash flow generative. You know, it's the modern day um, investment banking, like Basically, correct. But there was a problem. Mm. Um, it was not. Uh, you could get fired anytime. Mm, yeah. So it was not stable. There was no employment contract last time. Yep. Literally, yep. the emperor don't like you. Well, if you're lucky, you're you, you, you you, still alive. You're still alive. If you not, are, you're beheaded. Yeah, you're beheaded. <laughs> um, so um, as a result, um, a lot of people, when they go into uh, the bureaucracy, mm-hmm. so the, uh, you know, all the children who, uh, all the people who are in the, you know, in the paddy fields and all that, mm-hmm. planting vegetables, whatever, wheat, uh, it's hard work. So they want their children to take the civil service examination, which existed, I think, during the Tang Dynasty mm. uh, at the beginning. So what happened was that uh, they always asked them to go inside there. Mm. So once they managed to get inside there, the very few, uh, which was probably only 10% of the population or less, mm. then uh, they experienced this problem of they could get fired anytime and it was very uh, volatile. Uh, volatile, yeah. Okay. So what do they do? They buy land. MS. Yes, that is why Chinese people always emphasize education one mm. to getting a stable job, correct, saving money, yes. and buying land. That, 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 that's why that's why I when you asked me that question and you were elaborating just now, right? I just thought back about okay, yeah. 
both my parents. Yes, side. yes, okay. yes. So now let's transport yeah, modern, modern, mo- modern times, right? Modern times from from Chinese feudalism back yeah, to yeah, you know, when yeah. uh, a lot of the immigrants, Chinese or Indians, when they when they come here, right, and even even uh, the natives here, mm, right. Mm, mm. I think wealth was always uh, associated to amassing tangible assets. Yeah. Either a shop lot or a land. Even yep. even even the agrarian culture or society. Yep. You, know, you, yep. you know, if you're if you're a landowner, you're you're rich, right? Yes, yes. The only time you uh, the only thing that changed over time was that from agriculture land, now you own yep. buildings and all that kind of and I guess it, both side of my family, uh, my my mother's side is actually Fuchao. So they are they mainly come from the Fujian province, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when my grandfather, my my maternal grandfather, came here, he was uh, he owned I think pepper plantations. Oh, you mean like the white pepper, or black pepper? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I know it's pepper, right? And okay. and and my mom had to had to what do you call it? Um, tape rubber. Okay, would, yeah, yeah. My grandmother uh, did the same thing as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's like. like Four or five o'clock, they have to wake up. Yeah, they go to the plant, then they need get bitten by mosquitoes bitten, and things leeches. Like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, even then, right? Uh, they they had a big family. Uh, I think nine sisters right. and two brothers. Yeah. <clears throat> Inheritance always goes to the male. Yeah. Right. Obviously, and and then all this while, uh, wealth is always equated to how much land you have, mm. how much properties you have. Similarly to my father's, uh, uh, my my grandfather, my f- uh, paternal grandfather, uh, he was I think owned coca plantations. Cocoa, okay. Yeah, coca, uh, cocoa at very very small scale, but even then, you know, it's always this belief system that surrounds a lot of Chinese families about wealth creation through yes, land, landlord, land, yeah. landlord, yeah. being a landlord, and I think what has probably just changed a little bit is about. Instead of being in the civil service, mm. uh, they they pride a lot, especially Chinese families. They pride a lot that you get a professional job. Yeah, and whatever wealth or cash flow that is actually generated from your professional job, is to get the basics right. I think mm. that that's how mm. they see it. Get yeah. the basics right. That means, uh, in in Singapore they have they have this thing called the five C's. You were saying about me 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 right? Yeah, me me in, in in Singapore, there's the five C's. Yeah, and then you condo, can, credit card, cash, condo, credit card. I can't remember the. Yeah. I think one of them is a bit vulgar one, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, the connotation of wealth creation has always stuck to that. And I, in in the West is is that they call it the six sixes. I don't even know. No no no. I don't know. Six foot, six figure salary. Huh. Six inch. You know what? Oh okay. And then uh, the other the other three six. I don't know. I'll Google. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Continue. So so what. The 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 struggle is that since ninety nine percent of the society yes, yes, actually yes. Uh, plants that into your head ever since young, right? It's very difficult for you to to change out that mindset because it's like oh okay, it's like the spoken truth, you know, because it's mm-hmm. been drilled down so many times. So I actually went through that. So that means get a good get a good education, get a good job. Uh, I bought a house way bigger than what I could afford, but. Because I, I I worked for a for a multinational and they had pretty decent yeah salary very good salary. basically uh like a you know like a old bureaucrat salary yeah right? exactly okay yeah, this is what the five C's are uh, cash car credit card condominium country club oh country club and the five C lah oh five C's okay so wow. then then uh <laughs> then the uh six. the six sixes one is a six figure salary uh-huh. six feet tall okay uh drives a six hundred po- horsepower car. <laughs> 
has a six pack. I don't know whether 600 horsepower still applies for turbo cars. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> at least six months since his last relationship. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then okay. the, the number six is the one six inches, you know what, right? Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so yeah, you're saying you, you're earning good salary. You're earning and good salary, so get, get, yeah. get, get a roof over your head. And then the realization hit me when, you know, I as I mentioned early in an earlier podcast, you know, someone gave me the book on Kiyosaki, right? All oh, right, right. And then 19, and you see, you don't get all the concepts at once, you know. It's that's like right, that's the, right. the concepts, you, you, you hear it, but you don't live it until you live it, you know. And right. here I was, uh, property should be giving you cash flow. Mm. 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 Okay. Okay. And here I was, instead of getting cash flow, I was giving cash flow. Ah. So I sat down and I think, who am I making rich here? The bank or myself? Uh? <laughs> so I- and then, wait, That's a very good point because yeah. you know, you know back in the day, yeah. uh, in you know, old China, right? There's no such thing as credit. Ah, yeah. So when you buy a land, means that's your land. La. It's cash. But today, <laughs> today's, there's another owner. La. Yeah. So so then it got me thinking, then, then, I, I I knew at that point of time, I was so tight for cash flow and maybe I'll just repeat it here for those who, who, who never heard of this before. So I was making a gross salary of about five, yeah. six thousand. Okay. Net probably about three, three yeah, four, something, three, four, yeah. three, four. And I was very lucky because I was working uh, in uh, in a project team and in project teams, we, we get to travel a lot. Yeah. And because you get allowance, that, you no. get allowances. Not 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 a lot, but you also don't get to spend a lot of money because most of your meals are out stipends. anyway. Yeah, yeah, you're out. And those allowances actually helped me survive because here I was, my housing mortgage cost me two five a month. And I was getting net what three two sometimes on average. So mm-hmm. that left me mm-hmm. with seven hundred bucks. Okay, thank God I didn't have a car. <laughs> no, I had a car, but it was a hand me down from my dad. Right, it was a hand me down from my yeah, dad. Yeah. It was a sixteen year old Iswara, and I'm very gr- grateful for that. Do you still have it or sold already? Oh, I sold, sold it. I okay, sold okay. it when I when I moved to to KL. Oh, okay, from okay, okay. Yeah, uh, and it's a manual car. I doubt you wouldn't want to drive a manual car in KL, Jam. La, I so. don't know how to drive. It. <laughs> so, uh, I think the essence of what I'm trying to say is that cash flow is king, mm. not cash is king. Yep. Cash flow in the sense that really, really understand what's the definition of an asset. An asset is something that gives you cash flow. And if you buy an asset, so-called, for your own state, it's not an asset, it's a liability. I mean, I know it sounds so cliche, so basic, right? But most people don't get it right. They, they, they will come with a lot of reasoning and argument to say that, hey, but never mind what, it will appreciate in the future. Yes, what is the key to an asset? The asset is cash flow, not capital appreciate in the future. Even if it's capital appreciates to the future, what are you gonna do? You're gonna chop it up in parts and then sell it. Can you tell people, you know, you're gonna uh, get it in cash flow. Yeah, <laughs> which, which actually brings, I think, two points. Uh, yeah. where there's very uh, two myths. Uh, so one myth and another clarification point. Yeah. I think the first myth is, um, you know, people say they want to buy properties because uh, usually the story is, oh, I'll buy it, then I'll rent it out, yeah. and then uh, then to cover to cover installment, and then over time I will get more rent and all that. And so they'll be like, hey, you know, two, three hundred ringgit a month per property and mm. then they'll keep buying. And so if they buy 10, they get 2K a month and then buy 100, they get 20K a month. That's, That's right. right. Uh, the problem with that is that I think in today's environment, especially, interest and your mortgage, right, mm. which is what you have to pay, uh, is 
sometimes in some crazy cases, 20, 30 or 40% higher than your rent. And we're going to the, uh, the deeper math. math uh, yeah. you, know, you guys stay on to the podcast uh, uh, later later on. But I think that's the first myth, right? That, that, that properties can give you cash flow. It's very difficult. Even our, you know, even your good friend Faisal, he yeah. was saying that, like if you try to hunt for properties that only give good cash flow, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. So the first one, the second one is, uh, has to do with net worth, the definition of net worth. Yeah, that's right. Spot on. And I think the best definition of net worth is how much liquid assets you have. Mm. Because at the end of the day, when I say I'm a millionaire, mm. it means that if someone were to kidnap all my loved ones and ask for a ransom, I'll mm. be able to, and let's say he said, I, uh, it's a million, the yeah. ransom is a million. Yeah. I will be able to take it up and then, you know, settle it within three days. Mm. So you can ask, I think you can ask yourself, right? If you really want to know how much, if you really, if, if you are if you are not sure if you're doing well financially mm. and you want to know what is your net worth, you just have to ask that question, right? Tomorrow, I kidnap your kids or whoever that you love and you want to get them back and that's a ransom. Yeah. How much ransom can you put up? That's how much you're worth. Yeah. Too bad we have to use the example of a kidnapping. Yeah. But I think that is something that is like, uh, it invokes uh, maybe not even a kidnapping. Let's just say, touch wood, a family member that is very dear sick, to you yeah. gets sick. sick. Yeah. Gets yeah. sick. And assuming you have no insurance. Uh. Yeah, assuming you have no insurance. And even if you have, let's just say the insurance has, uh, has exceeded whatever limit. Yeah, and and you, need to fork, yeah. Yeah, you need to fork out a, a huge amount of money to pay for, for That's this. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that, that could be another example. I, I think that there's a key point uh, about liquidity, uh, MJ. A lot yeah. of people think, have you seen people, uh, owners of public listed companies that are rich, but very cash poor? Yeah. I think I think that 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 also is another angle which we can we can share about uh, net worth uh, because Absolutely. everything is stuck. It's not liquid. It's probably yeah. on paper. You're or rich on paper. You're rich on paper, la, But yeah. that's yeah. why that's why you hear stories of people like billionaires. I think there was this famous Brazilian guy who was once the richest man for. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Uh, what was his name? Really? The Petrobras guy. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, but I I I know. You know what I mean? mean? So yeah, like yeah. he was like the richest guy richer than Bill Gates. Yeah. Uh at one point. Yes. But then because uh Oh, if he's richer than Bill Gates, it's not Brazilian, it's the Mexican guy, Carlos Slim Henlu. Oh, this guy wasn't or maybe this guy was a this guy was a uh, okay, anyway. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. He's a Brazilian guy. La. Yeah. Okay. I think you're talking about the Brazilian Petrobras guy. La. The 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 guy who no, not Petrobras. Uh he owned the oil oil company. And that he, is linked to Petrobras. Uh. Yeah. And okay. He, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, he got really rich. And then after that, you know, because of downfall. Certain, uh, downfall. Yeah. And then they're like, hey, how come I thought you're a billionaire? And then, you know, then he started owing mil- hundreds of millions, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, back to the, the point about properties. And I think that's, so we, we talk about two myths, right? One mm. is uh, that uh, it's an asset. Yeah. The second myth is that it is, um, what's the second myth again? The second myth is that it is uh, a cash flow generation. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a cash flow generation. Yeah, uh, and also I think maybe maybe the the the, the other myth we would like to add is that it will appreciate something of value tomorrow. But you have to remember liquidity is also key, which was one one thing that we. Oh, I just remember this one. Okay, how about this one? Yeah, but John, it's a forced saving. <sighs> Okay. It's a forced saving, John. This is very good. Yeah. Okay, um, what are your thoughts about that? Provided that forced saving is giving me returns that are better than inflation. 
Okay. Okay. And provided that that forced saving can somewhat be liquidated into some kind of a cash flow in the future. Yeah. I think yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 it it's like, I think it's it's too bad that a lot of pro- financial products are being peddled yep. out today that talks about forced saving. If you can't, if you can't, <laughs> if there's mo- no motivation for you to save money and to invest and grow your wealth, yeah. right? No matter what tool <laughs> you're gonna use, right? I think it will it will be a struggle for you to make money, oh, yeah, to, to create wealth, oh, because if you need to force force yourself, rather than you motivate yourself to put yeah. to to develop a skill to put it into an asset that you know uh, will give you better cash flow in the future and that you're patient enough about it rather than it needs to be forced. I think yeah. that, that that's a, that for yeah, me- Yeah, The psychological part. Yeah, yeah, the psychological part is- and, and you know, it's also, at the end of the day, like for example, like emergency funds, right? The mm. reason they are good is because you can actually use them. Yeah. Right, and that's why you save money for an emergency. But mm. how are you going to do that with your house, yeah. right? Yeah. Unless you refinance your house or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I think another one right, that is, I think it's a little bit, better but still doesn't really make sense to me is that especially as a guy mm-hmm. uh, if you have a house it will force you to be more responsible have you heard of this one before? oh yes <laughs> so 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 uh, oh then might as well just say have kids oh. that is true <laughs> might as well just say have, have five, five kids, kids I'm pretty sure you'll be disciplined. More very, disciplined. Re- very disciplined in managing your finances compared to okay. In between, I mean in the past, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah, not to yeah. belittle. They had somewhat of an option to let their children be adopted. I think it's more common in the past. Mm. You know, when 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 uh, families did not yeah, were when, they're not struggling, yeah. when they were struggling financially. And 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 there was no uh proper uh what do you call that birth control? Birth control. In today's age, right? If you have, let's say you decided to have five kids, between between letting the kids staff and between not paying the mortgage for your house, I don't know about you, MJ, but I think the motivation for my making sure my kids are not staff versus not paying my house installment, I think this this is very clear. Yeah, I mean, me. it reminds me of that silly joke, right? Yeah. Uh, say, uh, buy a car you cannot afford so that you'll find a way to do it. <laughs> Oh, 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 yeah, that sensitive area. But, you know, for those of you who are in the industry or what we're talking about, yeah. you know exactly what we're talking and about. my response is always, bro, just buy a yacht. <laughs> buy or buy you a private sure jet. Fine, huh? You will sure <laughs> find a way yeah. to do it. Yeah. yeah. So, I, 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 okay. So, I think there's one more, uh, there's one more thing we need to talk about. Yeah. Uh, which, which is, is uh, before we move on. And I, I want to know, like, I think we should all, be reminded again of your story of actually buying properties, right? Oh, yeah, and yeah. And step by step, what you went through, what you thought before, and what you experienced and okay. your learnings. But okay. before that, I think one is leverage. Yeah, yeah. I think I, this is one big uh, argument that people always use and say that the big advantage that property has uh, over the other asset classes is- Is leverage. Uh, leverage, so. Yeah, uh, good. So it rewinds. Okay, so first property, my, my house. Yeah. Uh, not even an asset, it was a liability, 2005 a month. So here I was stuck, not being able to come out with capital uh, to invest. Anyway, and I remember you were telling me that your uni had enough money for the window grills, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had enough money for the window grills and the awning in the back, first phase of uh, <laughs> renovation. Icon, how, icon? Uh, how big was the house first? Oh, right? the house was, uh, 
I think 3,000 to 3,005 square feet. I can't remember. So 3,000, okay. So those listening, right? And if you're listening to this, you're probably from the Klang Valley area. So yeah. a 3,500 house is basically about two and a half to two terrace houses. Yeah. Yes. Right? Okay, go on. Yeah. So it was cheaper, obviously, because yeah, it was yeah, in Sarawak. Yeah. In Sarawak, yeah. in Miri. Uh, Miri, sorry, <clears throat> yep. Uh, so I had no capital to invest and I was very blessed. So uh, a close friend of yeah. mine uh, who happened to be a colleague that time as well uh, and another uh, uh, Faisal's right-hand lady, uh, yeah, Amanda. Yeah, man, right? uh, yeah. yeah, Amanda. So they actually said, uh, they both uh, said, hey, why don't you refinance your place so that you can get some capital to buy more properties? I said, okay. oh, okay. Actually, there's one interesting fact I think you missed out, which yeah. is uh, how but once you finish building that first half, how much money do you have in your bank? Oh, yeah, yeah. I still remember you. <laughs> you I remember you telling me, I forgot the number. Yeah, it was 256 ringgit. Wow, less nice, than my, so nice. no, whatever I, I saved one up. One kid and a wife who does not work, right? Uh, that time, my wife was working, but no okay. kids. But uh, we weren't married at that okay. point. Okay, okay. But literally, I had whatever I saved up in my unit trust, my fixed deposit, everything, zero, at zero savings. Virtually just 256 ringgit till the next paycheck. Mm. <laughs> and I only had one aircon in the guest bedroom. I couldn't even afford to buy aircon for the master bedroom. Uh, no furniture, <laughs> grills, <laughs> a bed and a mattress that cost me 400 bucks. And I, I remember you telling me that the TV in your living room looked like an oven. Looked like yeah, a, looked like a, a microwave oven because yeah. my my living room uh, width was uh, 16 or 18 feet. Oh, okay. That's two Yao Mings. Okay. Yeah, more than two Yao Mings. Yeah. And then my TV was a 32 inch. So it looked like, uh, like, like exactly what you said, a tiny microwave. So, yeah, 256 ringgit. So then it really hit me. Yeah, you may aff- you when you signed that SP and you may afford the loan, right? The renovation alone uh, was uh, it cost me all in, I think, about after I finished a few phases, was 100 over 1,000. Uh, wow. yeah. That's one thing that people don't take into account, oh, which yeah. is actually renovation. Oh, yeah. And we'll go on to the math later on. We'll yeah. leave the, 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 the juicy part at yeah. the end. Okay. So, so okay, so no, refinance, refinance your house. Okay. So I managed to. Uh, thank my lucky stars. My my paycheck had a, a very interesting logo on it. It looked like a shell. Okay. <laughs> yellow and red. Uh, yellow and red. It looked like a shell. So the banker said, the, 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 the banker literally said, how much you want? <laughs> All the credit rating yeah. throughout the Yeah, how, how much you want? So I said, mm, okay lah, 100k lah. <laughs> so I had to go and see a property valuer paid a thousand ringgit to for them to write a report that says my property is actually worth a hundred K more than when I bought it. Uh. Right. Which was a, a year ago. And I literally got out a hundred thousand and guess what? I put it all into unit trust first. Waiting. Are you? Waiting. Okay. We thought, we, I mean, we did talk about unit trust in the past. Okay. Yeah, after yeah. you bought the unit trust. Then. Uh, then, then after that, I started looking for properties. Ah. Number two. Okay. So I did buy property number two uh, in uh, Johor. I was looking okay. for something in KL, but uh, again, Amanda, uh, uh, God bless her. She she found me a property next to Aeon Jasko. Or that time was Aeon Tabrau, they call it. Aeon Tabrau. This is in Johor. 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 Okay. Yeah, it yeah, was called, uh, May, uh, May, it was uh, by this developer, Mayland. So studio unit, 99K. Okay, okay. Okay, I took I took a, 99%, a 90% loan. Then I went on to buy my third property, which was my, my place in KL. Okay. And then the fourth one was, uh, I'm synthesizing, uh, but the fourth yeah. one was also in Johor, a landed, gated, guarded for 500 something. So the mainland one, 
because I wanted to get my third property on a 90% loan, right, which is my KL place, I realized that I couldn't because it was the third one. Yeah. And for me to get a 70% loan meant that I had to fork out 300 and- For those who are listening who don't know, right, that uh, in Malaysia, I think not today, but because- of I think it still, relaxed, it still applies. It still applies. I thought they relaxed it. First and second, 90%. Yeah. Third one is 70%. Uh, didn't they relax it for for the, the recent budget? Oh, I'm not sure. Maybe I have to check. Yeah, yeah. I need to check again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, anyway, so anyway, if you're non-Malaysian or if you're Malaysian, but you're still, you know, not you're not aware of this, uh, by your third properly, you cannot take a full- 90% loan. 90% loan. Yeah. So, okay. So I had to, I calculated, right? I miscalculated. I need to, I need to fork out 300 over 1,000 for my for my for my third purchase i didn't have that kind of cash right so again call amanda hey what to do ah uh? hey why don't you settle the second one in cash uh, because it's 99 ma. right so literally yeah i settled it in cash so that the third one became my second one uh, and because of that i could get a 90 percent loan uh. that All was right. that was the time when you know we were in, i was in philippines i think the previous podcast we talked yeah, about yeah. it yeah all those paperwork shuffling here shuffling there settle this okay so back to the a little bit of math before mm, we go into the mm. deeper math the, 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 the palazzo condo in apartment in Johor that i bought for 99 i managed to sell it for 165 3 years later so okay. you would have thought, okay, ninety-nine, sixty. That's uh, nearly hundred percent return. Oh, okay. After how many years again? Sorry. Three, three years. Three years. Okay, three years. okay. that's okay. not bad. Not including <laughs> RGBT. Okay, so that's five percent off already. Okay, right? uh, penalty for the loan because it's a lock-in period. And you paid uh, off earlier, right? Yeah, you so paid off. Okay. okay, legal fees on both ends. Oh, okay, nice. Okay, so Very all nice. in, right? I calculated, right? Uh, I think I only managed to get about thirty-eight. K as a profit after I minus off all the costs. Uh. So three years, 38K on a capital of let's say 100K. Uh. 30, 40% in three years. Uh, 40% in three years. I don't know what's the K guy like. I think it's less than... Yeah. Yeah, it's probably less than... 50. It's better than FD. Uh, yeah, it's better sure. than FD. Uh. But the hassle I had to go through and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it, it, the, the, even the lawyer who was handling it was like, wow, John, you're very lucky because it was a very high dense apartment over a thousand over units and I was lucky to get out. The third the third one is where I'm staying today. The fourth one was the Pala, uh, the, the 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 one in Pulai <coughs> next to a highway. Uh I looked at it, I've been there only once after completion. Um and uh yeah I quickly tried to get rid of it. I, I saw it at a loss. I saw it at a loss. But yeah there you go. So a lot of these uh help open my eyes to yeah. the liquidity, to the cash flow and all that. And you know, I can go on and on because a lot of my colleagues buy buy properties. Uh, there are uh -huh. some that actually bought shop lots that were only tenanted out after four years or three years after completion. There's a, I remember at our old company, we had a client and he was telling me that, uh. <laughs> it's a funny story, he was, uh, actually there's another shitty part about property management, which is that tenant management. Oh yeah. It's a huge thing, right? Yeah. And again, so he was telling me that he rent. He had a, you know, it's terrace, single house terrace, something mm. like that. Mm. And he rented it to an Iranian. Now this is uh, nothing to do with. Uh, it's not a racist or anything. It just so happened the guy was Iranian. Iranian. And then one day he was watching um, a TV. Okay. And then he saw uh, the news that uh, there was a drug bust. So they caught someone. Uh, who was I think it was a meth lab or I don't know. Basically, it was a drug lab lah. Okay. Legally. They saw Iranian. It's like, 
What this house so familiar. <laughs> oh, I said, hey, that's my house. <laughs> <laughs> that is my tenant, you know. The, 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 so that's why when he called up and then suddenly the police started calling him, then he was like, he was shocked, right? So, <laughs> so he was explaining it when he manages. <laughs> okay, so you might be getting a drug. Um. Actually, that's the, not the only time I've heard. I've heard uh, uh, my, my ex-colleagues also, same, same thing. Math lab in a condo. They had to break down the door to actually open it. Yeah, so... So yeah, I mean, okay, la, it's, to be fair, it's an extreme. Um, yeah. But uh, these are some of the potentials la, that you can experience. And then, you know, if something happens like that to you, um, you know, you have to try your best to hide it from the next tenant. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. imagine you tell your next tenant, hey, this used to be a... A math lab. Drug lab. <laughs> okay, next, next time, next time then. Yeah. Okay, now let's go into the math, okay, guys? Oh, so, yeah. So one of the reasons why we do not advocate people investing in properties, especially, especially um, when you are starting out, is this. We did the math, okay? So what we did was, um, when, when I first started creating this spreadsheet, right? I, like most people, I thought, hey, okay, what do I need to fork out? Mm-hmm. and how much do I get yeah. over time, right? Yeah. And most people, they have this uh, misconception that you only need the 10% down payment, mm-hmm. which is absolutely false. Yeah. Okay? So here's the amount of money you need to start with. But before we determine that, we need to say, okay, what house do we have? So the house that we we chose was is in Casa Tropicana, yeah, Casa which Tro- is um, a pre- pretty decent area in yeah. Tainjaya. It's not a bad place. Not like the... Nap- it's not episode. a super atas place. Yeah. It's like not, not really like yeah. a Bangsar or a Moncara. Yeah. But, but the location is decent, right? decent. I mean, you know, property yeah. is all about location, location, location. Yeah. Right? So, you know, that's what... um, That's what we did. So the, the price of the house is 635,000 uh, ringgit. Now, this is uh, based on 2018 data, so it's slightly outdated. Mm. But the basic idea is still pretty much the same. So you got... So here's what you need to actually... What, okay, on a, I'm seeing on my spreadsheet here, right? Yeah. So... This is what we call the the pre-purchase cost, right? Mm. What you need to fork out before you even own the thing. Yep. Okay. So the first one is the down payment, 10%. Yeah. The second one is your sales and purchase agreement, which includes lawyer fee, stamp duty, and this is this disbursement fee. Some would argue, especially the property investors, uh, they because they buy in group bulk purchase and all uh-huh. that, they may get this off. So, okay, fair enough. They may yeah, get but them. okay, but just think about that, right? Yeah. For those who don't know what bulk purchase is, it means that they buy many properties. Yeah. Okay, now just think about it, right? What kind of people can buy a lot of properties? People who are rich, really. Correct. Okay, people don't have, the people who have unlimited capital. Yeah. So, if you're listening to this and uh, you don't have unlimited capital, that example do not uh, does apply, apply to you. All. <laughs> And and besides, if it's a discount, how much is it? Three percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm just in a normal uh, process, right? So three percent. After that, loan documentation, which is uh, four. Okay. So you to to get the agreement. Yeah. I, I don't even know why this is the case, but to get the agreement, which is S and P agreement, you got three percent. Then to document the loan, <laughs> it's no, another two and a half percent. Because you need. Okay. So. I'm not going to go into details. Course, I'm not an expert. Uh, but why you need to document all this is because a lot of first-time home buyers they wouldn't know this. When you actually buy or you mortgage your house, right? 
literally at that point when you sign all the agreements, uh, there are a few key documents. One is your loan agreement. The yep. other is an SNP where let's say if you buy a new house, it's actually from the developer. Yeah. But one key document that you will sign and most people don't even realize the importance of it is this thing called a power of attorney. Mm. And what does a power of attorney actually do is that because you took a mortgage uh, on, uh, or took a loan to buy this property, right. you are actually assigning the rights of the property to the person who gave you the money, which is in this case is the banger. Literally, they have, until uh, unless that power of attorney is revoked because you settled the loan, virtually you, the bank has more power over you mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you already, is, is a mortgage. Uh. And that's why all this paperwork and all this, it, it's it's actually a fear because there's a yeah. lot of paperwork that gets involved. Right. That's right. Yeah. No one, no one, especially yeah, no one, Dubai. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So then that's loan, loan documentation power attorney. Yeah. And then there's valuation fee, which is zero point three percent. depends. Sometimes if you if you if you get new uh, new properties, then you don't. But in sub sale cases, that means you it's an existing property. Yeah, yeah. That's why you need the valuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, correct. Yeah. Then uh, bank pro- processing fee, which is a bit small, zero point zero two percent. Yeah. And then of course, unless you sell the house yourself, you need to pay the real estate agent. Oh yeah. Which is about two percent. Yeah. Now, total you get. Be, to to fork out all of this is about 17 to 18% of the property's price. Purchase price. Purchase yes. price. Huh? So you have not owned the house yet, but this is the amount of money you have to pay. Now, but before that, and this one I only recently discovered, if you are buying a sub-sale property, mm. you also have the booking fee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was what I said also. What? <laughs> And the booking fee, I'm not mistaken, something like two to three percent as well. Depends on certain areas. Uh, like I know, I remember our, our colleague Ferris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember what he paid. I think it was about one or two percent. I can't remember. It depends. It really depends. Oh boy. So anyway, um, there, there's a lot of hidden hidden uh, costs. Uh. <laughs> we're not even talked about the cost of ownership yet. Yeah. yeah. This is the cost to own. Yeah. Right. And and before before any of the listeners here think that you know we are like super anti properties, uh, we're not. We we are just laying down the facts and uh, what what yeah. we understand and our experience. I mean, my experience and MJ. One day when you get to buy a property, yeah. you uh, you experience that. And we look up to people who really make it. Uh, they they really yep. they really know the game. Uh, guys like Faisal Rizwan, guys like Amanda. Yeah. Right, right. They they really know the game, and I've seen their process and their methodology. I look up to how they do it. Yeah. Literally, the methodology they employ is very similar to how we employ it towards stocks. It, it's yeah. almost to the dot, and that is that is coming directly from Faisal's. Uh, 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 yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, do check him out if yeah. you guys are free. If you guys are interested in property, if yeah. you have or if you are still not uh discouraged by us yet. Yeah, exactly. So okay, so so that is the pre-purchase price. So it's correct eight plus booking fee, assuming can be anywhere between 17 to 19%, right? Yes, yes. Or even 20 in some yeah. extreme cases. Yeah. Okay. Now this is after you buy it. Yeah. So okay, you add all that together, and let's say you use 17.8%, right? Yeah. You need to fork up not again the property price say 150,000. A lot of people think, oh, as long as I got 65,000, I can start with really 10%. Yeah. No. Yeah. If the property is six hundred fifty thousand, like this case, before to buy the house, you need to fork out, uh, one hundred eleven thousand five hundred and sixty nine dollars fifty cents. Oh man, how many people can actually in your twenties or early twenties, yeah. right? Can you actually cough up, hundred over thousand? Yeah. My God, you know, even that first property I told you, the one I bought in Miri, I had to take a loan from my dad, mm. right, and I had to repay him one year later with my bonus and everything. If not, I. Can you imagine I was probably too eager, too naive. I bought yeah. the house six months into my job. So 
Nah, yeah, man. Not not a not a very wise decision uh, in hindsight. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now once you own the property, yeah. you fork out that hundred and eleven thousand. Yeah. Here's the additional stuff you have to pay. Yeah. Number one, property assessment tax, which is about zero point three three percent of rental value, I believe. Depends like on where, like, okay. we just re, you just reminded me I have to pay my my, my, my <laughs> condo one at okay. the this <laughs> Okay, very good. That's why we have this book. Huh? Yeah. Okay, so 0.33% of rental value, if I'm not mistaken, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, then you got quit rent, chukai tana, which mm. is uh, 3.5 cents per square feet. Oh, yeah. Okay. Home insurance. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, mortgage insurance, which is like, like why? Homeowners insurance, mortgage insurance. It why okay, why a mortgage insurance when the insurance for the mortgager, which is the <laughs> bank, is the house. It's the house. <laughs> your 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 your, your I, I think they call this M- MLT, MRT. M- right? MRT for the bank's mainly MRT. MRT, right? It's right, yeah. to protect the bank with the is to protect the bank more than you, actually. Sad to say. You know, it's like uh, you know my our good friend Poige once said, "Is I like wearing two condoms?" Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, anyway, enough about that. Uh, so utility bills and then maintenance, right? So yeah. maintenance will probably be about two hundred and forty ringgit a month. Depends. For this property. So it depends. Okay, I, 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 property, I yeah. yeah. So I've seen condos uh, where I live, eighty cents per square feet. So if you have a condo that's two thousand square feet, you're yeah. talking about one hundred sixty bucks a month. Uh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, all these numbers are. Hey, no, no, thousand six. Sorry, not hundred sixty. Yeah. yeah. Like, Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, this okay is monthly figures. Figures. Yes. yes. So that thousand six or this two hundred forty ringgit a month that I am explaining. Yeah. So all that amounts right to roughly eight hundred and thirty ringgit a month. A month to manage this casa dropping our property at six hundred and thirty-five. Yeah. Thousand. Yeah. Okay. So here's what we did with our spreadsheet, yeah. right? Um, ah, sorry, one more big cost. Of course, I forgot this one. The mortgage. <laughs> okay, the mortgage. Yeah. So the mortgage, now today, mm-hmm. if you take a full loan, right? Uh, I believe this is a 30-year loan. Okay. Okay, at 2.9%, which is roughly what it is. This is actually 2.85, I just round it off. Right? Okay. Um, your loan, which you will, will be about five hundred and seventy-one thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the house size is about one one eight eight, so nearly thousand two square feet, which is slightly smaller than a terrace, about thirty percent smaller. Okay, mortgage two point nine percent. Every month you have to fork out about two thousand three hundred seventy-eight. Every month. So if you're on a salary of what? Three thousand. Okay, basically, 4, let me summarize if uh, if you yeah. are not earning seven k, don't buy this house. Yeah, no way. So if you're if you're earning about three, I think even a three hundred thousand property is gonna cost you quite a pretty penny. Yeah, yeah three hundred thousand will be about fifty five k upfront, and yeah. then about uh thousand plus a month nah. Everything add together probably two two lah. Two about la. two la. So yeah. you'll, you'll take home probably after that is yeah, probably nothing one. La. La. <laughs> nothing to take home. Nothing to take home. Home yeah. is empty. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So uh. Here, here are the, here's the summarized versions. Okay, now your interest payments, mm-hmm. which is two thousand four a month roughly, plus your maintenance and all that, mm-hmm. you add all that together over thirty years, which is the tenure of your loan. Yeah, will cost you about one point two million ringgit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 
let's say you can rent it out mm-hmm. or and assuming this is an investment now so you don't stay in this house yeah, okay, yeah. this is an investment you rent it out and then it grows at i believe three to four percent every year mm-hmm. in, okay. in terms of capital appreciation okay, yeah okay yeah. so uh and, and and never not a single month yeah. not a single month there is no renter. Yeah. That means once your once your tenant leaves, another one replaces, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe you get the same tenant for 30 years, which is a bit interesting. But yeah. okay. So you do that. Okay. You get from rental income 2.8 million. So far, so good. Mm. Uh 2.8 of uh, 600,000 is probably four, four or oh, five, almost five times. Uh, no, four times, uh, four and a half times. Yes. Yes. So now, here's the thing. What I did, what we did then was to assume that the property value mm-hmm. will grow at 8% a year. Okay. Every year for 30 years. Okay. Okay. So now I'm going to synthesize the math, right? Everything taken together, the cost of owning the property, uh-huh. okay, is 2.2 million. Okay. And your gain, uh, mm-hmm. which is the capital gains plus the rental that you get. How much are you selling? So you're... Capital gain is eight percent per year, so, so it's roughly ten x. Uh, ten after, times, ten times what yes. you bought. That means six million, right? Okay. Uh, about seven. About seven. Okay. Six year about seven. Okay. Okay. So your total proceeds will be nine point two million. Okay. So total rental plus how much you're gonna yeah. sell the property? Okay. Ten times the value of what yeah. you purchase, right? Yes. Ten so times, are, guys. There are two very, very, very big. No, actually, sorry. Uh, four very big uh, assumptions here. Okay. Number one, mm. you can sell it for 10 times the price. Mm. Okay, 30 years, 10 price. Ask yourself, if you are listening to this, ask yourself, is that realistic or not? To us, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. The house that my parents bought after 26 years and it's in PJ. Yeah. Okay, after 26, 27 years. Okay. It only went up seven times and it's in PJ. Yes. Some of the, one of the best areas in, yeah. in Klang Valley. Yeah. So seven times. This one, 10 times. Okay, that's Assumption number one. Yeah. Assumption number two is that rent keep going up and you always get rental. Mm. Number three, mm-hmm. no big repairs. Mm-hmm. And number four, no renovation. Okay. So that means your paint, your ICI or your Dulux has to stay you there. You just walk in, it's a showroom already. You <laughs> just go and sit down and start playing your PS5, right? Yeah. So, okay. So that those are the four big assumptions. Yeah. So your total gains mm-hmm. after you take your proceeds yep. minus off all the expenses, right? Your maintenance, your the 111K plus all the uh, the mortgage and all that, what you get is 7 million ringgit. Mm. So after 30 years, mm. you put in 115, you get 7 million. Not bad. Yeah. They would say, oh, cash on cash return, 100K yeah, to, wow, fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Well, actually what you put in is about 2.2 million lah because yeah. of... Uh, yeah, but they, they most invest, yeah. uh, newbie investors, they'll say, oh, I put in down payment plus cash everything. Cash on cash, COCR, right? C-O-C-R, yeah, C-O-C-R, but you know, the, the I don't know, lah, guys, ask yourself this question if you're saying that, right? Yeah. The the cash you pay, the, the money that you pay for your mortgage, is that real cash or not? Not real <laughs> cash. I think it's quite real. Lah, huh? yeah. So it's about 2.2 million. That's the cost, right? No renovation, nothing. Just two million. Okay. So that is what you can do in a very sunny, based on very sunny assumptions for properties, mm. right? Unlikely it will happen, mm. but let's say it does. Yeah. So what we did then was, okay, why not we compare it with stocks? Mm. And instead 
of um instead of uh putting that hundred and eleven thousand okay into a property, we put it in stocks. Okay. And then the monthly outflow that you get because you have to pay all the expenses for properties, which is roughly about thousand eight. Yep. Instead of taking that thousand eight to pay the bank or whoever, to you top pay up yourself up. and put it in this stock portfolio mm. every month. Mm. All right. Now, and assuming, uh, assuming you do not increase uh, uh, your savings. That means it's a flat rate. That flat. means whatever that you use to top up for the property's cost or cash flow is used to top up your stock portfolio. Yes. Flat, flat rate. Yes. So instead of giving the bank money, you're giving yourself money. Mm. Right. Instead of giving uh, all the, the quick rent, chukaitana, all that, the government money, you're giving yourself money. Yep. Okay. So, what do you have at the end of the day? Okay. At, at, at what is the compound rate? So we talked about the properties one, which was 9 million yeah. proceeds, cost of 2 million, you get 7 million yes. after 30 years. So in this case, same capital outlay initial, same monthly outlay. Yes. And compounding at what rate? 10% only. Okay. So what was the total amount after 30 years? You get 6.4 million. Oh, okay. Slightly less. Slightly less, but remember. Mm. How many assumptions do you have to make for oh, yeah. these stocks? How many assumptions do you have to make for the property? Okay, so for those of you who have never invested, uh, just to give you uh, some context, uh, unit trust in Malaysia, oh no, fixed D in Malaysia probably give you what? 1.75 to about 2%, right? Yep. Analyzed. Uh, if you go into most unit trusts, probably they will give you a return anyway between 4 to, if you're very, very, very lucky, 15%. Very, very lucky, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, here we put in 10. So it's somewhere in between what a unit trust. Now, what what will be the next step above that? So if you can just increase it to 12%, let's say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which by the way, if you have the right skills. Yeah. Totally doable. Totally doable. 8.2 million. Okay. So at properties is seven. Uh, hey, sorry, sorry. 10. Sorry. Sorry. Apologies. 10.4 million. 10.4. So at properties is 7 million. Yep. 30 years at a 10% compounding rate is 6.4. If you are doing 12, it's 10.4. Mm -hmm. What about 15 MJ? 15%. Same capital outlay, same amount of top up. 22 uh, million. So guys. Now, I, now, okay. So <laughs> that is the compounded monthly one if you break it down. Ah. So let's say if you compound annually, which is a bit less, then yeah. the numbers change a little bit. Okay. So if at 10%, you will get, oh, so, sorry, 10%, it's about uh, about 5.2 million. Mm -hmm. At 12%, mm -hmm. it's 8 million already. Okay. Just 2% mm -hmm. is difference. And okay. then at 15, that number becomes, oh shit, wait, sorry. Uh, that number becomes 17 million. But the basic idea... It, it, the, the gap is very big. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but between 7 million with all the headaches that we've not included, tenancy management, paperwork, all the rents, quit rents, taxation, everything yep. that you have to pay <clears throat> versus somewhat of a volatile, let's just say in, in, in yeah. our case, somewhat of a volatile asset, quote unquote, right? that can give you 15% compound, you're, you're looking at a difference of at least 10 million already. I mean, yeah. from seven to what, 17? 15, yeah, seven to 17. Yeah. 17, so it's about a difference. And, and you know, I, I I think here's what really is the, 
here's really how to think about it, right? Hmm. When you pay for a mortgage and all that, what you're actually giving up is your freedom, mm. I feel. No, no, it's spot on. Because uh, here maybe I, I, yeah, I'm going yeah. to share the story that why I had to sell the property. I, that first house that I told you I, I bought MJ in Miri, it was literally, I would say that if I were to afford, will be able to afford something of that size, that stature, that's, that and, and gated guarded in KL, it would have easily cost me about 10 million. Yeah. I If I had a net worth of probably 100 million, yeah. I would definitely buy that same house again because I wanted the space for my study and all that kind of thing. But Yeah, but at 100 million, you can buy it for cash. Yeah, I can, I can literally buy it for cash. You can hire right? people to manage it for you. Correct. Know? But the point I was trying to bring up was that did I love that house? I did. I absolutely loved it. Uh, but I had to sell because I thought to myself, if I'm moving... Here I was from Miri, was uh, being uh, uh, um, transferred to Kale. And I, I looked at the economic, uh, uh, the industrial trends that were going on at mm-hmm. that point. Uh, mm-hmm. I asked myself, how likely am I going to go back to Miri based on my career path progression? That's right. And it was a struggle for me to maintain that house if I'm in KL, because if you, if you, don't, if you don't rent it, the house is going to get old very fast. Of no, course. Yeah, no one's going to stay in there. So I, it was a very emotionally tough decision for me to sell. And because of that, every month, but at the same time, it was very painful every month because I had to fork out two five, two yeah. five, two five. You're forced to love it. I, I force, I'm forced to love it. So you see, you, you, are, you are absolutely right. Your mobility is tied down. Yes. Um, and in, in my scenario and in my career as an oil and gas professional, you are expected to move very often. Oh man, yeah. You That's are expected to move very often. And can you imagine just because uh, you have had, a house, yeah. have a house, let's say in Kuching or wherever, lah, let's say in Sitiawan, but because you had better career prospects or even better- Maybe you triple, quadruple your salary. Yeah. And takana, you don't want to, you, you, you feel that, oh, I won't get this, I won't take on this job because yeah. I have a house in Sitiawan. No way, right? Yeah. And then after that, you know, when you're there, you're busy climbing your cor- corporate ladder and all that, you will think of the, what you would do by then, right? Like, oh, I have this house in Stiawan. It's another headache. You know, there's another headache to manage. Yeah, I, I rather get my brother or sister, and then your brother or sister who, let's just say, if he's staying there for rent free, maybe they'll love taking care of it. But other than that, yeah. Mm. yeah. And you know, if you get the skill to compound fifteen percent, which yeah. is not again, guys, it's doable. It's right? doable. You know yeah. what you're actually doing? Yeah, you're actually undervaluing your freedom by ten million ringgit. That's that's quite a bit to <laughs> that's million. really what it is. At ten million, uh, you can buy a second hand jet like Tony. Tony bought his second hand jet ten million, and you know it was yeah, uh, Global Express. Yeah, yeah, a Bombardier yeah. Global Express. So um, <laughs> look, okay, I think there's I think it's enough math for everyone today. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think just to wrap up, right? Yeah. Um. Now we talk about properties, the ins and out, the details. Why it's most probably not a good idea to do it unless you are rich. And I think that's one thing I want to talk about as well is that actually. You know, the problem is that when we listen to people who came before us, yeah. well, uh, older people, and they say buy properties, you, you don't believe me, all right? If if you're listening to this, you go and look at those people who always advocate buying properties. You realize that they actually got rich before they started buying properties. In yep. other words, right, you have to be rich to buy a property. Mm-hmm. To be a property. Because property is actually a place for rich people to store their wealth, not yeah. to grow it. It's a it's a hedge for them. It's a capital preservation tool. Yes. A lot of people don't see that. And, and yeah. And in my mind, there's really only two or maybe three now uh asset classes that will actually help you 
become uh, wealthy, maybe four. Okay, first one is obviously a fantastic job. Second is to own a business. Third is to invest in stocks, and fourth is uh, maybe cryptocurrencies. Right, uh, mm. that one of course is uh, deep, less yeah. there's less history about that, but you know maybe that's the case. The point is, if you want to get wealthy, don't go to properties. Go mm. to these four things first. Yeah. Then when you make too much money, then you want to buy whatever properties around the world, not just in Malaysia, around the world, it's up to you. So I think now let's go deeper into why uh, we think stocks uh, really are better. Mm. I think the first one is liquidity. Yeah. Right. The one that you mentioned about, which is, you, you know, if you have an emergency, <laughs> Yeah, you got your your four savings in your house. Yeah, but to, uh, unfortunately, you know why they call it four savings? Because you have to try to force it out when you want to pay for your. You have to force it out of the bank when you. <laughs> yeah, remember earlier in the podcast? I mean, you brought up this point about four savings, right? Yeah, I I told you that in my naive younger mm. self. Yep. Whatever excess of bonus that I had you read up online, it says, oh, dump it into your property pay loan down, yeah. to pay down so that you get less, you, you're paying less interest. I, I believe that. I seriously believe that. And uh, it, it was me growing up and being not so mm, smart mm, and all that, mm. right? But then when I did the math, hey, if I'm compounding at 15, if I have the skills to compound at yeah. 15, why should I be saving up for at that time, when I was paying, my loan was about 4%. Uh. I'm like, yeah. hey, the delta is like 11%. Uh. Even if the delta is like 5%, I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's a huge delta, guys. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. compound delta at 11%, you know. So yeah. And ironically, that's the beauty of uh, property leverage. Not so that you can compound your money through properties, but you can compound your money through some other things like stocks. Correct, correct, correct. And, and yeah, so li liquidity, you know, ties back to my point about net worth, right? The ransom story. Um, ca Can you actually fork it out? Because, you know, if let's say I own a stock and I have an emergency, I just sell the stock. I Literally, I get the money immediately and then In I three just days, bank, uh, three days, I bank uh, the money out, right? Three yeah, days. Yeah. But a property, best case scenario, even if you manage to sell it, that means the minute you think of it, and it. that same day you manage to sell it, it's... um. It's six months at least. Yeah, that, that is everything. All the ducks are lined up la, virtually. La. Ah, six all months. the ducks are lined up six months. Yeah. Yeah. So the second one is the fact that according to Credit Suisse, it is the best performing asset class. Stocks, yes. All right. So this is data. Yeah. So the, the first one I talked to you about the liquidity uh, is that's more practical. Mm -hmm. But this one is more data, more empirical, right? Yeah. And it wasn't just Credit Suisse. I think it was... Uh, Professor Jeremy yeah. Siegel also said that a few a few studies are, but yeah. I think the most recent one that is uh, that we really like was. Uh, but Professor Jeremy Siegel did not include properties. Oh yeah, he did. He, he included bonds, treasury, gold. Yeah, but he didn't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. right. So Credit Suisse one, yes. So if you if you look at the uh, Credit Suisse report, um, and you can Google, I think it's called "Raise a Glass to Equities." Right? Yes, that you can can Google it. Yeah. Stocks did way better than so many, you know, uh, properties, it trumped bonds, bonds, gold, rare violins, yeah. and that. Rare violins was even better than uh, properties. Yeah, yeah. Gold was better than properties, which was a bit shocking to yeah, me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, uh, and, and after inflation, it's like 5.2%, right? Correct. Whereas correct. houses after inflation was 0.3%, right? Yes. So I think just the data itself is screaming at us that really stocks uh, is the way to go. Number three, and I think this is probably one of the more underrated one, is that number uh, and they are linked, right? Is you can start small, which means your bounce back ability is a lot higher. Mm. See, if you start small, 
right? Let's use the example we gave earlier on about the the Casa Tropicana six hundred thirty five thousand house. Yeah. So if you have a hundred thousand, right? Hundred fifteen, hundred seven hundred thousand, no, yeah. hundred eleven thousand. Yeah. yeah. To start off with, you need hundred eleven thousand. Okay, that so that's not small already, right? Yeah. That's why you know property really is for rich rich man's game. Yeah. Um, if you make a mistake in that property, mm-hmm. that's hundred eleven thousand gone or down the drain. Yep. Right, it's stuck. But with stocks, you can start with hundred ringgit or maybe let's say a thousand ringgit. Mm-hmm. What this means is that you can literally buy a hundred eleven stocks, let it go to zero. For all those cases. For all those 111 tries, and you will only still lose the same amount of money than you would with a single property. But the difference is that by the time you lose 111 times in the stock market, you hopefully like, you're already wiser. Yeah. Right? You'll be able to come back and you are able to be more knowledgeable. Correct. And you are by by you doing 111 stocks, right? Yeah. Can you imagine what the... The odds of you the, losing the, and failing is actually losing. quite low. La. But you see, when you're doing that with property, it's one-to-one, you know. It's yeah. The ratio is really one-to-one. But ratio of one to 111, I tell you, the odds are so much yeah. much better compared to... And, and, and you have to remember, right, that if you're starting on investing, like the most important thing is to compound knowledge. Yeah. And so what you want to do is to have a strategy that allows you to make as many mistakes as possible without destroying your capital. Correct. Without Spot destroying on. your capital, right? Spot so I think on. that's very important. Yeah. Now this last point I want to make is uh, they're they're both pretty much the same, although I broke it down into two. But basically, stocks are more intellectually stimulating. Mm. Hence, mm. you actually become a okay. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's very <laughs> very rude for me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You actually become smarter. I think. Oh yeah. With stock, not because you are a smarter person. Yes. It's because investing in stocks forces you to become smarter. Think about it this way. Yeah. Earlier we mentioned that you know we we both uh, respect what guys uh, like yeah, Faisal yeah. Rizwan. By the way, he's a smart guy. He's so. a yeah. I I've, I've met him. He's I've, smart enough to be a stock investor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a humble guy, so he's yeah yeah. yeah. Nah, jokes yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Jokes aside, so what makes Faisal so good is you look at the amount of data he uses. Oh uh, yeah. It's insane. To yeah. tell you the truth, yeah. is you would hardly see a season. Uh, uh, you would hardly see a novice property investor actually use that kind of data sets. And to the to MJ's point about being smarter, somehow or other stocks are uh, you are forced, whether you like it. If 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 it's not your cup of tea, that's why you wouldn't be a very good stock investor. I'm sorry. To yeah, say that, yeah. Right. But you are kind of forced to have this curious mindset of trying to link all this together and. You see the world. I say you see the world from a very, very different lens. Yeah, yeah. Because now you understand the correlation between industries, industries, economics, yeah, growth, and that's why how management can affect correct decisions. Correct. Like. I mean, I mean the the story about um, Warren Buffett and gold and the farmland. I think that was for me was was I was mind blown how simple it was, how prof- but how profound it affected virtually. What determines uh property prices or even things like gold yeah. is really supply and demand. But what about businesses? Businesses are breathing, living, dynamic things. Yeah, they have to be smart enough to adapt to consumer trend changes. Yeah. They have to be the management has to be adaptive to to change the way they run businesses to be lean, to be adaptive to to, to all kinds of uh, challenges being thrown at them. And that's the beauty of what you get as a stock investor yeah. to, to understand all this. But for, for properties, yes, they are changing trends. Maybe they go more vertical. Maybe there's ways of laying out a property that makes it more cost feasible. But 
it doesn't really forces you to look at other data other than that's right. Yes, and I I, I think that's that's my two cents added to whatever points that you've already added. Yeah, like uh, like you're in the oil and gas industry, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to invest in an oil and gas stock, uh, well, you need to understand the value chain. Oh man, you need to yeah. understand who sits where. Then you need to learn how to read financials, correct? So that you can verify your so- your 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 thoughts and all that. Then you need to understand who's the management. Right. Uh, then you need to do valuation, right? Yes. Finding out if it's cheap or expensive. Yes. And you need to learn things like risk management, things Correct. things that we teach in our SIB. Yeah. And yeah, just just going through the process uh, of it, even though it's obviously a steeper learning curve, uh, I think it's far more rewarding. Yeah. And also you learn more. Yeah. And you know, the only thing better than compounding money is compounding knowledge. Oh yeah, yeah, and I, I, it, it's a very funny place where people invest in stocks. When I say funny, is because they you need to approach it with a tinge of arrogance. Uh huh. But at the same time, you also need to approach it with a tinge of humility because for stock investors, right, knowing that the mental capacity for you to do stocks requires a lot. That's right, absolutely. But at the same time, you need a dose of humility to know. And and I think that's something that is, uh, you 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 have to learn being an investor. Right. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that that is even more profound as a stock investor rather than, so there's this blend of arrogance and, yeah. you know, self, I wouldn't say arrogance, uh, self, self-confidence and humility. That is a good, uh, End note, and I think we should uh, call it a day on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, we can go on and on with this, obviously. Correct. But uh, yeah, guys, that's it. I hope you're now more educated on uh, stocks versus properties, why exactly we do not like properties, and why we like stocks. And, you know, see you in the next podcast. Goodbye.